0: Welcome again, everybody. Thanks for being here this weekend. And everyone watching online, thanks for joining us as well. And everyone at the Montrose Building, thanks for joining us as well there and uh, for gathering together this weekend. We've been in a series here the last couple weeks called Disrupt the Default. And it's based off of this idea that we all have these defaults in life, right? So there's things that we think are normal, that are natural. Uh, They came from our families and our homes and our opinions and they just become kind of the way that we think and the way that we act and kind of the decision grid that we would work through. We don't think much about it. Uh, We just kind of go back to that again and again and it becomes the basis off of which uh, we kind of live life and deliver life. Jesus is a disruptor. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you're going to connect with Jesus, then you're going to have to allow his truth to disrupt you. And you're going to have to allow him to kind of undo some of the things that you would think of as normal and natural in life and the things that you've picked up and even relied on over the years. So we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks uh, out online on the app. You can watch those, listen to those kind of be up to speed on that conversation if you want to. Now, this weekend I wanna move us forward a little bit and I wanna give us kind of a, a practical conversation that has profound impact on our life, all right? So a practical conversation that has a profound impact on our life. So we've been hanging out in Matthew chapter five. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is having a conversation uh, with a bunch of folks who call it the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what he's doing in Matthew chapter five is he's gathered a bunch of people around him and he's laying out kind of his teaching and his thought process And one of the clearest places that he does that in all of Scripture. And it becomes very disruptive to the way people think and the way that they they would act. And so we started talking about this a lot last weekend, and I want to dig into it and go a little bit further with it this weekend. So last week in Matthew chapter 5, we looked and said that, that we, uh, uh, we looked at kind of Jesus's opening statement of these, uh, of these defaults. And he says this in verse three, he said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of God is there. And we said that this poverty is not really a financial poverty, it's a spiritual poverty, that when I realize my need for God, that disruption starts to happen in my life. And it changes my life and causes me to approach life in a completely different way. Now, he goes on then for verse 3, and he says this. He starts to blow these things up. He said, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they'll inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they'll be satisfied. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. All right, so these four verses, those who mourn, those who are humble, those who hunger for justice, and those who are merciful. So what I wanna walk you through this weekend is this. Like I said, it's a practical conversation has a profound impact. I want to show you four places that we tend to rely on our natural defaults. This would be kind of universal, like every human being does this to one degree or another. And then I want to show you four ways that we're tempted to meet the needs that are in those places ourselves, where we would look and say, well, I, I just, the way we did that in my family was, the way that I always thought about it was, what those four temptations are, I want to show you four ways that Jesus brings a disruptive truth. And then I want to show you four invitations that Jesus makes to us. And I want to talk about why this is important and why Jesus wants to understand these truths so bad. Okay, So let's look at these four things off of those four verses out of this conversation here in Matthew chapter 5. Try to get our head around a little bit what Jesus is saying and why this is so important to us. And I think what you'll find is we walk this through, kind of practical, it's not super hard to get our head around, but deeply profound. When we actually allow Christ into this spot and allow that change to happen, it will alter the way that you think and the way that you live, okay? So here we go. Here are the four things, the four places. Here's the first one that Jesus takes us. The first, the first place that Jesus wants to disrupt our default is in this place of our grief, in this place of our grief. And this is what he says. He said, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. So Jesus looks at us and he says, if you want to follow me and you want to be a person of the kingdom and you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ is how we would say it, that I'm gonna interact with this universal place that everybody has, and it's this place of grief. How you think about death, how you think about loss, how you think about sin, how you think about regret, all that kind of stuff, that's a universal thing that every human being processes and deals with one way or another. You would have defaults in the way that you would do that, things you were taught, things that were modeled, what your opinions are. And Jesus says, I wanna come and I wanna meet you in that place. I wanna blow that up a little bit. And I wanna meet you in this place of grief, right? Now, our natural default, one of our four natural defaults would be something like this. Our default would be that we wanna avoid mourning at all costs. And that's a human instinct. I want to avoid grief. If you've ever had someone pass away, you will get very, very bad advice from a bunch of people. And they will say things like this. They will say, it's important that you move on. That's not true. Uh, They will say that you need to get your mind off of it. That's not true either. Uh, They will say, keep yourself busy. That's a horrible idea. Like All of these things will come in because we've been taught to avoid mourning at all costs. Uh, The way that we look at regret, we'll say like, you just keep moving forward, always live for tomorrow, put your past behind, like careful with that or you don't learn from it. The way that we look at sin, instead of looking at sin and saying, sin grieves the heart of God, or sin causes consequences for the people around me that are painful to them, We'll rationalize and justify sin and call it fun and call it frivolous and call it the way that everybody else is. So all of these sayings are tied to grief. And God looks and says, that's something universal. Every single human being deals with that in one way or other. Our general default is, I want it away from me. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I just want to avoid it. Jesus is going to come in with a disruptive truth. And he's going to say this in Matthew 5, and then he's going to say it in other places. And here's the disruptive truth he's going to say, Grief cannot be avoided. You are not going to go through your life and never have the sorrow that comes with a death. You are never going to go through your life and not have regret. You're never going to go through your life and never have a dream or an expectation die in front of you. That is. Grief cannot be avoided and what Jesus would say is, actually that can be a good thing. Especially when you are in the kingdom of God. We would look at death differently. We would look at the loss of dreams differently. We would look at sin differently if we're looking at it from Jesus' point of view. So it can't be avoided. You're not going to get away from it. It it has to be locked in. Everybody's going to go through it. This default isn't going to work. This is the truth of the matter. And what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 5, he says you actually can be blessed in this process because of who I am and what I want to do. And this is his invitation. His invitation is to allow the God of all comfort to comfort you. So instead of living in denial about something in our life, instead of pretending that it is something that it is not, Jesus would look and say, go there. You're going to go there anyways, but I love you there. And I want to meet you there. And if you will engage grief for what it is, if you'll engage death, if you'll engage sin, if you'll engage sorrow for what it is, I will meet you there and I will bring comfort to that place. That you're never alone, you're never abandoned, you're never there just figuring it out by yourself, right? Now, this is a disruptive thing because you will not hear this anywhere else on planet earth. Most of the time when we know that there's a death or we know that there's a loss, most people would perceive that as a punishment or an abandonment from God. God does not perceive it that way at all. He sees that as a part of our human experience and our human life. And instead of punishing or abandoning, he's saying, I actually will be with you. I will comfort you. I will help you in that process. Grief is not what you think it is, and it doesn't have to be what you were taught that it is. All right. So he kind of takes that first one And he kind of locks it in place. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And he kind of would say, hang on to that for a second. Because you need to understand that this will change your life if you start to understand that. Now he moves on then to the second spot. And the second spot that he's going to disrupt here on the Sermon on the Mount is this idea of our self-sufficiency. So he's going to disrupt our ideas of grief. He's going to change those. Like There's this whole other option, way to go with it. And then he's going to come in next, and he's going to start to disrupt our sense of self-sufficiency. And he does it by saying this. He says, blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. And that's a disruption of our self-sufficiency. Why? Because the natural human default or instinct is always going to be pride or self-prioritization. So nobody is ever going to look at us in our culture or in our world and say, you know what? If you want to get ahead in corporate America, what you need to do is be humble. And you know what? If If you want to make it in the world, what you need to do is make yourself unknown. You know what? If you want to be on varsity, what you need to do is bring water to all the other players. That's never going to happen. But I tried that for four years. It never got off JV. It does not work, right? So that's never going to show up. And this sense of self-prioritization is a sense that every human being would struggle with. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's every human being where we would look and say, I am the center of my life. And I am the center of my thinking, right? And that's true of all of us. That's how I woke up today. Jeffy loves him some Jeff. I think I'm great, right? So I woke up today and I had my schedule and my agenda and what I needed to get done, what I needed to get out of the way so that I could get to it. Heidi's out of town, so I had to feed the dogs. I had to feed the ducks. Don't ask, we have ducks. Like it's, right? I had to do all those things. And the whole time I'm doing it, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is so inconvenient. I never even wanted ducks. And now I have to take care of them. I had to get that out of my way so that I can go do what I want to go do. And you might look at me and say, Jeff, you're a jerk. And I would look at you and say, well, you're a bigger one. Because we all think that way. It is universal, It's a part of our humanity and nobody will tell us that there's a better way to live or to achieve what we want. It's our default to operate in pride or to operate out of self-prioritization. Jesus comes in and says actually actually God blesses those who are humble. He blesses those who are humble and that is the path forward to inheriting the earth. In fact, if you go deeper in scripture, what you find out is that God would view that mindset exactly the opposite of the way that we would instinctually view it. Later on in the Bible, God says this in James chapter four, he says, and God gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This word oppose is a really, really fascinating word when you look it up and kind of research it in the Bible a little bit. What it means is that God actively opposes. That when I live in pride and I live in self-prioritization, not only am I not aligned with where God would want me to go but God would actually be stepping in my way. He actively opposes the proud And he actively gives grace to the humble. Our default would say the exact opposite. Jesus is speaking into it. He's like, actually, guys, I, I hate to break this to you, but it's the actual opposite of what you would think or how you would function. And he comes in with this disruptive truth. And here's the disruptive truth. The disruptive truth is that the instinct of pride cannot be erased, but it can be rejected. So God isn't gonna look at you and say, I can't believe you had a prideful thought. I can't believe you thought of yourself. I can't believe that you were grumpy about feeding the ducks. I can't believe that, he's not gonna look at us because temptation is not a sin and God isn't criticizing and wagging his finger. He's gonna look and say, I know that that temptation because it's universal and it's instinctual. That's not going to go away, but it doesn't have to be embraced. You can reject that. And you can do that by following me and by my power in your life. And Jesus's invitation is that he'll empower us to choose humility. You have this instinct, I'm telling you, that instinct to be prideful is never gonna line you up with God. That instinct to be self-righteous is never gonna line you up with God. That instinct to act for yourself above all others is never gonna line you up with my heart. I know you struggle with it, I know you love it, but you can overcome it because I will be with you. I bless those who are humble. I wrote this in the notes. Humility is not a state of mind, it's an act of the will. So humility is not me walking around saying, oh, I'm so humble, oh, I'm so lowly, oh, I'm so... That, that's actually would be some form of self-righteousness if you thought that about yourself. Humility is not a state of mind, it's an act of the will. I make a choice, and it's a choice that cuts against my nature, it cuts against my default. And Jesus comes in here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's like, hey, I'm kind of letting you know. You want to conquer the world. Everybody tells you to do that in your own power, your own strength, your own truth, your own knowledge. I'm telling you, it's never going to work. I will bless those. I'll oppose that. I will bless those, right, who are humble, and I will give you what you're looking for in your heart. Right? So, the second space, this first space, Jesus comes in. He's like, guys, I, to follow me and to really know me, to really understand me, get your head around me, we got to blow up your understanding of like mourning and what that is. And, and we're gonna, But I'm going to be with you. You're not going to avoid it, but I'm going to be with you. I'll comfort you in that. And we got to blow up your sense of like achievement and what a win is. It's, it's not gonna come from self-prioritization. It's gonna come from, from, from humility and laying that down in front of us, right? And I, I'll take you where you need to go with that. I'll help you make that decision. Then he comes into this third area and he says this. This third area that he wants to disrupt is our need for justice. He wants to disrupt our need for justice because it's universal. Everyone on planet earth has a need for justice. And this is what he says about it. He says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. So this need for justice, God says, I got you. I understand it. In fact, I, I approve of, so to say, your need for justice. Plus, those who hunger and thirst for it, you'll be satisfied. But in order for you to be satisfied, we have to change your understanding of justice, right? Because your default of your understanding of justice is always going to leave you unsatisfied. In fact, it's going to leave you bitter and angry, right? So we have to disrupt your default. Now, what's our default? The human default for justice is this idea that justice equals fairness. Justice equals fairness. So most of the time, when you and I are thinking about justice, what we really are talking about is fairness. That I want to be treated the same way that everybody else is treated in my mind, right? and I want things to be fair, right? And that's what our sense of justice is. So if I feel like somebody was unjust to me, or they acted unjustly toward me, what I want is I want a equal cost to be extracted from you, right? If you, if you ripped me off, I want you to be in trouble, and I want your consequence to be in line with what i believe the harm is that you've did to me and if you get the same consequence that is equal to the harm i believe you did to me i will have a sense of justice so if i if i find out or i perceive that your consequence is less than i perceive my harm to be then i will feel like that is unjust right and that injustice is going to drive me insane. So right now, if I got you thinking a little bit, and I started, th- I started asking questions like, have you ever been ripped off? Have you ever felt like somebody got one over on you? You ever feel like somebody stole from you? You ever feel like somebody like, you ever feel like an injustice has happened to you? Right now, if I could get you thinking about that, your blood pressure would start to rise, right? Your ears would start to flush, right? You would would go back to a place of anger and frustration because you would look and say, my ex, my old business partner, my parents, my life, my whatever, somebody ripped me off and I have had no justice. That Fairness has not been satisfied in my life, right? Now, remember what Jesus said. He says, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for justice. So you're like, I'm in. I hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. I don't feel satisfied. So Jesus is disrupting something because that math doesn't work, Right? So what justice is he talking about, right? What's he talking about? My default is fairness. Jesus's disruptive truth is this, ready? It's interesting. His disruptive truth is that he is just. I want fairness. Jesus is like, "Uh, I'll give you me. Well, I want fairness. I know what you want. Your definition will not satisfy, but I'll give you me, and I can satisfy that hunger and thirst for justice. Why? Because I, God, am just. The Bible says this, Deuteronomy 32, describing God, He is the rock, His deeds are perfect, everything He does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright He is. But I want you to see this. He is that. He is that. He's not used by us for that. He is that. Everything He does, He is faithful. He is justice. So only in Christ will our justice ever be satisfied. Now, this, I, I'm kind of leaning into this for a second, because this is a big, big deal. Where God's looking at us, and he's saying so far, if he was here, he might say, guys, I want you to start adding some things together. I want and need to disrupt your sense of of mourning, because you're grieving or you're mourning, and I want you to know that in my kingdom, as you realize your need for me in my kingdom, my sense of mourning is different than yours. I would define a win differently than you would define a win. Let's start there. And I want you to understand that it's going, it's, my win is going to play out. What you perceive as a death, I might perceive as life. What you perceive as a loss, I might perceive as a gain. And if you don't allow that default to be disrupted, you'll never be able to do that math in your heart and it's really, really important math. I want you to understand that, right? I want you to take that idea then and I want you to start to redefine a win. And I want to add to that this idea of redefining your self-sufficiency. Because you believe that that if you lose your life, if this dream is gone, if I lose control, that I lose, like your whole sense of grief is different than mine, you will start to act in pride because I must. I have to prioritize myself so that I do not have these losses. I, I have to make this win. I have to overcome. I have to live. I have to do this. And I, ha- I have to justify it away because if I don't have an elevated sense of me, I, I can't do it. So the idea that like you would say that I'm sinful or you would say that I'm wrong or you say that I'm on a line, mm, God, I don't know because I rely on me for these things. It's the only way I can win. And Jesus would start to say, if you take that sense of mourning and realize that there's a lot of victory in it, and you take that sense of self and realize there's a lot of loss in that, that you're going to, it's going to backfire on you. And then you start to apply those things to justice. That a win, a loss can be a win and humility can replace pride. And when you start to look at relationships and things in your life that have kind of gone sideways and your sense of justice, which is fired up and driving you crazy and you're full of bitterness because the dream died and you got messed over in the process. that hunger and thirst will be satisfied, but it cannot be satisfied by you or through you. All that can come by you and through you is bitterness and rage and slander and malice and all of that, Just you get more bitter over time. You get more angry over time. You get more prideful over time. The sense of loss increases and increases over time. And Jesus would look and say, if we could disrupt this and disrupt this, we're going to disrupt this. And I'm telling you that you can be satisfied in that, but the justice that you hunger and thirst for, the justice that you want so bad... Is my justice not yours? I will satisfy it because I am just, right? And the invitation that comes out of this from Jesus is this I'm inviting you to release the burden of justice to me. I'm inviting you to release the burden of justice to me. God says this in Romans, it's fascinating. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, who is just. Leave it to God, for the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. I want you to see this, ready? This is is simple stuff, it's just super profound. As I allow Christ to disrupt my wins and losses, my sense of mourning, what's dead, what's alive, and I allow Christ to disrupt my sense of self, I don't don't have to win, I don't have to achieve, I don't have to get mine, I I don't have to live that way. What Jesus will begin to do as he changes my wins and losses and he changes my perception of self, what he'll begin to do is he'll change my sense of justice and the burden and the anger and the resentment of injustice will start to, sh- to shed off of me. Would you rather your enemy face you or face God? Would you rather your enemy deal with the consequences of what you got to say online? or the consequences of when they stand before a holy, righteous God in judgment. Jesus is looking and saying, I get that you hunger and thirst for this. I understand how you feel. I'm telling you, your path is never gonna satisfy you. It's actually going to destroy you. And I'm inviting you to release that sense of injustice to me. As you let go of that grief in a different way, as you view yourself in a different way, you'll start to think about justice in a different way. right? And you'll start to long for my justice as the defining factor in your life. And I will do it because that's who I am, it's my nature, I am just. And that's three. Here's the fourth one. Ready? As my sense, of winning, my sense of grief changes, that in the kingdom, a loss can be a win, a death can be life. And as my sense of self changes, humility is the path to inheritance, not self-prioritization. The burden of injustice now moves away from me. So, I can let go of the anger I have toward my dad, and I can let go of the anger I have toward my friend, and my ex, and my boss, and the jerk, and my who. I can start to shed that from me. And then the fourth space that Jesus is gonna speak into is really, really fascinating, ready? Here's the fourth one. The fourth space he speaks into he wants to disrupt is in our need for mercy. Isn't it fascinating, the path he's taken? Change this, change this. It'll alleviate this. Now let's talk about your need for mercy. And this is the way he says it. Blessed are those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Ready? Here's our default. The default is this. I crave mercy for me. I hoard mercy from you. That is, that is the every human being If you are breathing right now, that's true of you. I crave mercy for me. I hoard mercy from you. I want you to be merciful. You got to understand. You got to understand. You got to understand my childhood. You got to understand my wounds. You got to understand my intention. You got to understand my perspective. You got to know. You know. You got to. You got to. You got to know me to understand me. I crave mercy from me, and you're a jerk. And I hoard mercy from you. That's our natural human default. Everybody struggles with it, right? Here's the disruptive truth that Jesus is speaking into this. Ready? Jesus is rich in mercy for all. Jesus is rich in mercy for all. Ready? Now here's the invitation He invites us to receive mercy in order to show mercy. He invites us to receive mercy in order to show mercy. Now, let's put this together because this is a big, 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 big deal. Here it is. I lose my sense of a win and a loss. And the kingdom, the way that I mourn is differently because death equals life. Loss equals gain. Trials equals joy. Like all that kind of stuff plays out in the kingdom. It's totally different. I start to get the sense of myself disruptive. I got to get ahead, my truth, my way, my win. It starts to get disruptive. Oh man, I can operate in humility and I'm always going to be tempted by pride, but God can help me to reject it and I can walk in humility. That's actually my path to inheritance in the kingdom of God. And I start to realize my need for that. And then this whole sense of justice, I'm so mad, I can't believe what a jerk, right? And I'm turning that over because my justice will never be satisfied, but God is just and he will satisfy that need. Vengeance is his. He's gonna do it. He's gonna handle it. He doesn't forget things. It doesn't slip his mind. And as my sense of when loss is disrupted and as my sense of self is disrupted and as my sense of justice is disrupted, all of a sudden my default of I want mercy but I hoard it, and this default that Jesus, Jesus is rich in mercy for everybody, for me and for my enemy. Can't you like fry them or make them go bald or something? No, because I didn't fry you and I didn't make you go bald. It's just a genetic thing. Well, can't you, can't you, they messed me over. Can't you mess them over? No, because I didn't. You are equally as guilty in your sin. Do you want me to remove my mercy from your life? Do you, you want me to, hold you fully accountable and responsible for everything you've ever done? Do you want me to? Is, I, you don't want me to interact with you that way. And if you allow your sense of loss to be disrupted, that what, what everybody always taught you was a wipeout is actually a gain in the kingdom of God and your sense of pride that you got to win at all costs. You don't have to win at all costs. I won, you're good, trust me. And all of that built up anger and rage in the system and my dad and my mom and I got you. And all that mercy is poured out onto your life What starts to happen as those defaults are disrupted, the relief, the joy, the difference that starts to happen in my life. And as I receive the depth of God's mercy, what happens is I'll start to have mercy to give to another. I'll start to want for other people what God wanted for me. And I start to walk as a person who's changed by God. And I start to live and I start to think and I start to interact with other people the way that Jesus has interacted and changed me. Now, why does God want us to know this stuff? I told you, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's very practical unbelievably profound. Why does he want us to know this? A loving God is teaching loving truths to people that he loves. So why would God, do it? because these are not correct, that's not the tone of what Jesus is saying. He's not like, let me tell you what your problem is. You're full of pride. That, that's not what he's doing. He's looking at you, it's more like, do you, don't you want something different? I mean, is this what we're going with? So loving God is giving a loving truth to people that he loves. Why would he do this? It's really fascinating. The Bible tells us this, 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, the same way, you who are older must accept the authority of, of the elders, and all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's that statement again in another part of the Bible. Right? This is what God wants. Ready? It goes on. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So allow yourself to be disrupted. You've heard this truth, and it's hard to download this, but don't be all stubborn about it. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So what do I do with this truth? Well, I receive the disruption, right? So I humble myself under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift me up. Why? Or am I going through this process? Why is God leading me through this? Ready? It's awesome. Here it is. Give all your worries and carry to God, for he cares for you. That's all the same statement. Humble yourself. Don't be prideful. God opposes it. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, his truth, his disruptive truth. Why? Because he cares about you because these defaults bring with them worries and cares. That's all they bring with them. They don't bring life, they don't, they don't bring joy, they don't bring help, they only bring worries and cares. And Jesus looks at us, he's like, it doesn't have to be that way, it doesn't have to be that way at all. We can change all of this if you'll allow me to disrupt this and follow me, your grief, your grief will only overwhelm you. Grief has no positive benefit outside of grief being turned to joy because death is final unless you're a follower of Jesus. And then death is life. What is mortal is swallowed up by life, the Bible says. Loss is final, unless you're a follower of Jesus, because the Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love Christ. Trials are final; they're horrible. Actually, James says you should like count them as joy, because actually a lot of a lot of positive things can happen if you allow Christ to disrupt you in that process. It totally turns around if I engage that truth. And why would God give us that truth? Because he cares for you. He doesn't want you to carry that. He don't want, doesn't want you to be stuck in that. But I have to humble myself and receive the truth. Pride will destroy you and distance you from God and from people. Pride will never accomplish anything for you ever. And Jesus is like, well, what if we lived in humility? You inherit the earth. It's actually the way to win. I want to relieve you of that performance and relieve you of that pressure that you have to somehow outdo somebody else. I want to relieve you of that. I care for you. The weight and the torment of injustice is driving you crazy. If you'll give it to me, I got it handled. See? But you have to allow me to disrupt that the confusion of mercy and accountability. Am I being merciful or am I enabling someone? Jesus is just like, be merciful the way that I've been merciful to you and I'll sort it out. And I care for you and I want to take these burdens from you. These are Jesus' jobs. These are are the things that I do that you can't. And if you live in your default, it's going to play out in a way that's only going to bring harm to you and harm to the people that you love. So I just kind of say it simply. Like, you know, if you would let yourself mourn and understand the victory of that, you'd be comforted. If if you would embrace and choose humility, you'll inherit the earth. If If that, you hunger and thirst for justice, just... Let it be my justice, and then you'll start to live in mercy. And and what you'll do when you live in mercy is you'll receive the mercy that you crave from the people around you and from me. A loving God takes a loving truth and gives it to people that he loves because he loves us. And he wants to free us from these anxiety and these cares That torment us so much, right? The key is to let him disrupt the default. All right, the band's coming out, and uh, they'll have to move the stage around a little bit, so don't be distracted by them, but maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute and think about some of this stuff, right? I wrote down some of these questions I ask this question Is your grief overwhelming you? As some of you are, you've had loss, you had death of dreams and breakup of families, and the pain of that is devastating. And Jesus wants to comfort, He invites you to let Him. Will you? Could you? I ask this question Is your pride pushing you away from God and people? Why do you have to perform the way that you do? What why do you have to have the facade? The amount of energy that it takes to fake it. Why why not just humility? Being happy for other people and And Jesus wants to give you the security that you'll inherit the earth. You don't have to earn it. He wants to give it to you. Is the injustice of life and the world embittering your heart? It doesn't matter if it's the betrayal of a best friend or a family member or if it's the Ukraine and politics. We live in an angry world, a bitter world, a resentful world, and it's destroying. It destroys culture and it destroys you. And Jesus would love to carry that justice for you. It will be satisfied, but it has to be surrendered. In God's mercy, are you receiving it? In your shame and guilt and regret, you're receiving the mercy of God? And are you extending it? Jesus, in these moments, you invite us to invite you. And God, for every individual, would you help that even now? Could we invite you into these places in our lives that we're used to, that we function in, that we never thought about before, but are the source of much of our pain and our anxiety and sin? And Jesus, would you meet us uniquely in these places right now and help us through your power and your kindness? to surrender to you, God, our heart, our soul, our self, our pain, our frustrations. Would you love us in those ways even now?